Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome to episode 61 of Cage Rage and Nicholas Cage Podcast, the podcast in which I, your humble host and guide, Daryl Hedge, take you on the journey to true cage nirvana. That is the point of the truest form of real being, as close to the golden hog of Hollywood as you can get, Mr. Nicholas Cage, by watching each and every of the greatest actor of this generation's movies. How are you? How have you been doing? Hope you've had a good week. Um, hopefully you've survived the heat wave. If you are UK based, still pretty hot, not as scorching for me at least as it was last week. Um, I was an absolute mess in every sense of the word. Um, it was such a mess in fact that there's a few things I actually missed out of the intro last week. Um, the first and foremostly of those, um, Pig. Of course everyone's talking about Pig at the moment. This is a movie that is receiving rave reviews left, right, and center. And in fact, as of recording, the film is actually sitting at a 97% Rotten Tomato certified fresh rating on the website with an 83% uh, audience score as well, which means it is currently again at the time of recording, joint first with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse for the highest rated film on this site that Nicolas Cage has ever starred in. Um, This is looking to be huge. Hopefully it translates into awards nominations down the line as well. It is only out in the US at the moment. That launched last week, uh, July the 16th, I believe it was, and is set to release in the UK on August 20th. Hoping it gets a wide release, hoping as many people as possible come out to support and see this one because it's set to be uh, very, very monumental and I suspect it's going to be in many best of lists by the end of the year when we look back on the film year, the strange film year that was 2021. And obviously, like I said, we're waiting for that in the UK, but we did get The Croods too, The Croods A New Age, which is in cinemas as well. So um, the first Nicolas Cage film released in a while is the animated Croods sequel, but hey, you take what you can get. Um, Other than that, on the flip side, there was some bad news a few weeks ago as well, and that Amazon has actually pulled their Nicolas Cage starring um, Joe Exotic Tiger King series. That is no more, is not set to be, um, so it will go down as one of Hollywood's greatest what-ifs. But again, I think with the success of Pig, I think we can sort of balance that out. And I think there was another production that was far far um, further along in their process anyway but it is what it is this is how the things go you gotta roll with the punches uh speaking of rolling with the punches we roll into episode 61 this week where i am joined by joe chendango and we are talking all about the thriller the action thriller stolen straight out of that there 2012 uh absolute pleasure to talk to joe about this one we had a great time 
talking about all of this. Um, he is co-host of the Fly of a State of Film and Fly of a State of Fear podcast as well. Links to those will be in the description. Um, but this is a really good episode. Enjoy it. Sit back, relax, have a nice hydrating beverage because it's pretty toasty out there still. And slap on some sunscreen if you're a pasty white boy like me. Uh, so let's get right into it. It's episode 61, Stolen, Daryl Edge, Joe Chandango. Duh. 2012 wraps up with the action thriller Stolen. This week, Nick Cage stars as Will Montgomery, a former thief who must come up with $10 million after his old partner kidnaps his daughter. Now, joining me on the journey to true Cage Nirvana this week to see if Stolen deserves to be found or if it should stay snatched forever is one host of Flyover State of Film podcast, Joe Chandango. Joe, how are you doing today? Hey, Dad, I'm good, man. What an intro. Don't that, worry about it. Honestly, that just describes the whole movie right there. I think we're good. I don't think we need to continue. I think I've been looking for a <laughs> for the shortest podcast ever, so uh, we're done. No. We're done. All right. Yeah, we're done. No, I'm good, man. <laughs> uh, thanks for having me. Uh, stolen out is a... I'll get into it eventually. It's a weirdly... I have a weird connection with this movie. Uh, I've only watched it once until this morning, but... Uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. Really excited. I, when I was writing the intro, I was I was kind of wondering, you know, do I just write this film definitely is not taken, and then that just be that just be the intro. Well, I remember. So I remember, like, and and describing this to friends, I'm like, yeah, it's a taken knockoff. And then rewatching, and I'm like, it's almost just a taken knockoff now by name, and just kind of like a middle of the road, like heist movie that they they were like oh taken's popular this is close to taken let's call it stolen <laughs> like it, what's a synonym for uh <laughs> for taken because yeah. i i totally like i re- my memory was because i saw this was 2012 so almost a decade ago and i my memory was oh they, they were gonna um um you were dealing more with her in the trunk and him trying to get her and that's not really like a good hour of this movie is not that it's like you kind of forget about the daughter being driven around and it's more of just like him running from the fbi so anyway <laughs> um reason why i picked this is so so uh when this was released in 2012 i was still in college or uh university as you guys call it uh, across the pond yeah and uh <laughs> and um, there was a blockbuster about 20 minutes from my college. Uh, I think it closed down like a few months after the story, but it was still there. And I remember I went there to get whatever movies and they had a poster of this advertising stolen, just big on the window. And me and my friend, uh, were just becoming obsessed with Nick Cage films. I love Nick Cage. If anyone's ever listened to me, if he's like, as a, like you guys, it's thanks, you know, as many as I can, but also love talking about Nick Cage. Love, uh, do a lot of drinking games to his movies, almost every one of them. We have a lot of fun. <laughs> um, so anyway, I, uh, my now wife, but my girlfriend at the time, I was like, there's a poster there. I need it. And obviously Blockbuster's not just going to give you the poster. Sure. So I woke up at one in the morning, 2 a.m., drove to 20 minutes to this Blockbuster parked you know i car idled ran um peeled the poster off but the poster was too like too uh like cut in half it was a vinyl wrap poster peeled it off i was like gosh did i break it took both got in the car you know sped away and i literally stole the stolen poster 
<laughs> and I was in my it was in my apartment. So my then I was a sophomore. So of course it had to be in like every apartment I ever lived in. Yeah, of course. Until a couple, I would say maybe up until like we graduated and actually like moved in together, <laughs> you know, and like have own <laughs> real apartments. Yeah. But yeah, so I stole the stolen poster. Uh, and then I we did watch the movie eventually, and as we were talking before, I very remember it being just a taken knockoff. But that's my <laughs> stolen story, and why I want to pick this because why the hell did I like? I was not thinking like why did you risk probably getting arrested? Worth it? Take it? To, yeah, I think it's worth it. I hope my parents <laughs> still have it at their house. I would have done exactly the same thing if I had. Uh, means, motive, and opportunity. Obviously, the, the three criminal justifications. Mm-hmm. I've done exactly the same thing. Yeah. I just think the um, blockbusters where I used to live just very, very few and far between. Um, but I think it's kind of interesting the way you say that like, you take the poster, but that seems to be maybe some of the only advertising this film got. It just didn't seem it, to be advertised at all. It will. <laughs> it literally. And it's not a good poster. Like it's it's a it's it. The posters. I don't even think the poster complements the movie because the movie's like competently shot. It looks good. The poster is really bad Photoshop and just stolen. Nick Cage with an explosion. Um. And funny enough, uh, like I said, that blockbuster was towards the end of blockbusters like lives. Like I was like, remember being shot. Like oh my god, there's a blockbuster near the college. It was in like very rural. I went to school like very rural Pennsylvania, and um. But I remember when we went back for like Blockbuster's closing sale, because you're talking about the advertising of stolen and all, um, you know, they, everything was half off, blah, blah, blah. They had, and weirdly enough, because we we're talking about this to reference um, the other Nick Cage podcast, uh, your buddy Pe- uh, Petros and uh, yeah, on Cage, they had a stack, I mean, stacks of Traspass as like the only movie left in the store. I don't know why I remember that, but it was like, you know, the, they were, the shelves were clean. Then I was like, oh, I got a couple of, but they had stacks and stacks of trespass, not stolen, but anyway, so, um, so yeah, that, that's stolen, but let's, uh, yeah, sorry. Let's talk about the actual movie. I want to get my, uh, <laughs> my, why I wanted to, you send me the list and I'm like, I, I think we should talk about that one. Definitely. I mean, this is kind of like, obviously the taken illusions, I think. Um, any film that seemed to have a child that went missing is like, oh, this is just a, a Taken knockoff, just trying to... I think, because with Taken, though, I think it was just such an unexpectedly popular film that everyone was mm-hmm. like, I want my child to go missing if I can get a piece of that pie, and you know, I don't have a child, but the hypothetical one is in a trunk somewhere and I'm just <laughs> waiting for those, those dollars well, to come in. It also was like, you know, so like easy formula, like cheaply to produce, right? Like, all right, we have an aging action star. We're going to kidnap a child. Um, and he's just going to go mess stuff up to get his daughter back usually. Right. That's like the taken formula. Yeah. And it worked. People ate it up. And my dad was like, that's exactly what I would have done if I had that exact set of skills. Right. And then like, <laughs> I was trying when I was watching, I was trying to be like, all right, because Nick Cage has been in more of these taken knockoff movies. And I was trying to figure out, like, yeah. and I honestly couldn't remember, but I feel like since Stolen, there's been essentially like Daughters Kidnapped, I Have to Go Get It Taken movies. I know Bruce Willis has been in them. I, you know, you name the uh, the older action star. 
they've been in, <laughs> taken adjacent. And I think every uh, every aging action star who's been in one of these post Liam Neeson thought this might be the comeback movie, um, and it definitely wasn't. But I was. Thinking as you said that, there was definitely other similar films that Cage has done. I'm sure, um, I feel like Seeking Justice, yes, um, I think came not too long yeah, before dude. this, actually. In, in I think it was very, very similar time frame. Um, I just remember seeing a DVD cover for um, Seeking Justice, I think it was just called Justice in the UK. But it was one of those such a, a generic poster, kind of like this one. It doesn't really tell you anything. It's just lead hero running from explosion. Always. And that's, you know, if that doesn't sell you on the film. But I think it was around this time as well, because um, for me, 2011, 2012, that's where I was a, a college, university myself. Um, and there's like a big store over here called HMV. I don't know if it's in America, but it's the big sort oh. of multimedia dvd cds vinyls game store um on all the high streets and this is this was kind of like a period of time where it seemed like every other week that i went into the store um there were <laughs> there was just a brand new straight to dvd nicholas cage movie yeah, it's i have his imdb up i just pulled up and just because i wanted to and you're absolutely right it was always just <laughs> a new one and it's so funny you say it because that's about the time I got into really this, you know, cage world of because uh, uh, because I think because there were so many new ones every week, and me and a roommate were like, we literally would have days we call them cage and beers where we <laughs> would get like a case of beer, watch about three or four Nicolas Cage movies, good yeah. and bad. Like it was usually a pattern of like you pick the class, like a an action classic, like your Con Air or Face Off or whatever, um, maybe more of a drama or something mm -hmm. and then a new one you know and it was a really good pattern we did it every i feel like every like month or two um yeah. and we'd be annihilated by the end of the <laughs> uh, uh but yeah and 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 you know it was surprised on this watch because i was paying a little more attention i definitely don't remember the movie that well uh to see simon west be the director uh yeah. he directed con air um yeah and I don't know if you caught this, just to start talking about the movie itself. Um, did did you think, so MC Ganey is the only other uh, Con Air alumni, I guess, in this movie? Sure, yeah. Did you, did, he calls himself Diamond Dog. Isn't that the nickname of uh, Ving Rhames' character in Con Air? It might be actually. And I was like, is that a reference? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was just my cage brain working. I'm like, is this a weird reference? Because I don't know. This was a weird one to me because I never like to think Nicholas Cage, and you, I'm sure, watch a ton of these kind of straight to DVD movies as well. He doesn't phone it in for like 99% of them. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the truth. But there were a few scenes here. I'm like, oh, you just, you, you, you were, you were just here. And everyone felt that way. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think this was definitely a, a time um, when I think, I think because of the financial situation, when we were saying the DVDs just kept coming, and I wasn't complaining, but I think he was starting to not give yeah. it 100% as he would have been like we, a few years previously. Yeah, because we have, I like I said, I have the MDB, because you have a, kind of a theatrical run, right? Up until, well, I guess Seeking Justice would be first so it's like knowing which was a hit 
uh, Bad Lieutenant, which, you know, once again, we're in New Orleans, and I feel like that's just... But that's like an art house film, regardless. That's probably his craziest movie, or one of them. Yeah, uh, definitely. Kick, Kick-Ass, Astro Boy. I mean, Season of the Witch was a flop, but it went to theaters. Yeah. Uh, seeking Drive Angry, which is a ton of fun. And then, like, 2012, I'm sorry, then Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance. And then 2012, you really could say, like, Trespass was a complete failure. That's 11. And then Stolen. And then that's when we start trickling to these... Uh, well, he has the Croods, which was a nice payday and a, I, I think a hit. But then you have like Frozen Ground and then uh, Joe, which to this day I say is his most underrated acting performance ever. Completely agree. Completely uh, agree. Like that one to me, I was like, man, if you weren't making these straight to DVD movies, you would have been this like black sheep Oscar darling that year for Joe. Because that movie's uh, just great. Let's talk about. I haven't watched in a while, but let's talk about Joe instead of uh, Taken. I'm kidding. I <laughs> almost said Taken instead of uh, Stolen. Um, What's the difference? So, so anyway, uh, but I what I always remember this movie is, and I don't know if you guys have a. So the the villain in it was it Hoyt? Uh, yeah, so it's MC Gaines' yes, character was Hoyt. And... Oh, sorry, he was Hoyt and Vincent. Uh, Josh Lucas played Vincent. Who Vincent? Like I was convinced that he that Josh Lucas's character was actually called Riley till about the last ten minutes of the film. I was like, oh damn, my notes are all wrong um, because I don't know what it was. I think I kept f- forgetting about this film, and then whilst I was watching it, I was like, I've forgotten who the characters are. Yeah. I've forgotten what the motivations are. Uh, <laughs> I, I know that Clean's Clearwater Revival was mentioned at one point. I think. It, it's it's weird yeah they were literally like they set this whole thing up with ccr and then it's abandoned till the last 10 minutes when they like just remembered oh we should tie back in ccr but josh lucas's character that's all i remembered from it was his bad wig <laughs> yeah, yeah the girl in the trunk i remember that and then i also remember josh lucas because uh you know, he. I, the only other role I ever... He's a working actor is he's the love interest in Sweet Home Alabama. Uh, the uh, Reese Witherspoon movie. I'm like, all right, that's that guy. But, uh, and I don't know if this is in the UK, he's the voice of Home Depot. No, we don't uh, have Home Depot here. Okay, no. so Home Depot, uh, uh, you know, it's a construction store. You buy whatever. And their commercials are everywhere. And it's a, like the... But he's the voiceover of like... Home Depot, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's jo- that's the sweet home Alabama guy. And this, I'm like, or the guy from Stolen. But I, I suppose what would you rather be known as the Home Depot guy or the Stolen guy? I think the Home Depot guy, he probably does really <laughs> well financially with that. But I swear, man, I could talk about his character for like another hour because it's talking about a character that makes no sense. <sighs> They like set him up to be like, because Cage is a pretty straight guy in this. Like, you know, he never really goes too high or low. Um, Josh Lucas is like, they start him out in the beginning, and they're he seems normal-ish. Like, and then he they go, all right, all right, you're gonna be obsessed with this gold for some reason, and then then he goes yeah. crazy. And then for some reason, because of a bullet, he has to amputate his leg. And then he has a bad wig. And then he's just like a <laughs> psychopath who wants to kill people. I was like, what did you guys write? Like, like 
at one point I have a note that he was just doing a Joker impression at the end. Like it was a Heath Ledger Joker impression. <laughs> That's definitely it. Because like you say, it, it, it's, it's such a weird transition of just guys part of the heist who then eight years later is just joker uh basically that's kind that's what they've tried to write but just none of that essence is there so the context basically is at the start of the film uh they're carrying out this bank heist then cage's character will montgomery and josh lucas's character vincent they have a scuffle because he goes to kill um an old guy outside because Mm -hmm. he's in their face Uh, and then in the fight vincent shoots himself in the leg um cage carries him to the getaway van is like oh like i dropped the gold so he has to run back and go <laughs> thank you um and then he has to go I back and get it gold. it's like i dropped my doubloons oh, um, that's a good one and then he runs back to it but hoyt's like fuck this shit i'm out yeah. um and then cage I, is arrested it, and then vincent gets mad because reasons it was the slowest run in because it was not a far distance <laughs> like it was not a like oh i need the i need the oh, i need to get the gold i left the bag and he he <laughs> it's the slowest run maybe in movie history for the distance <laughs> he had to go because you would sprint. Yeah. i don't like you'd be like great and the car you couldn't do that in 30 seconds or less from the distance <laughs> they were and then he does like and then he's a straight up action star who could like jump on the hood and like neck chop people and then before he gets arrested like steals a car because that intro uh was the longest i feel like like it should have been a cold open it was the longest intro it reminded me of one of my favorite movies which is a comedy but it reminded me of blue streak i'm not seeing blue streak okay it's it's a it's a martin lawrence movie uh but it starts off with the bank robbers right and it's a whole thing and the cops but it's maybe a five minute intro. You set everything up. It's about Martin Lawrence hides a diamond in a, in a, um, what turns out to be a cop, uh, 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 like a precinct. Right. And that, that's, that's the setup. Things happen, getaway car, very honestly, very similar. But this intro was like, I'm like, dude, this is going on for a good 20 minutes, I think. And it was fine. Like it was more, it was one of the more exciting parts of the movie. Yeah. I think, Mike, the intro was long, like you said. I think it ran about 15 minutes just to Mm -hmm. sort of get to the now. Um, My only issue, really, with the intro, and more than anything, kind of something that happens throughout the film, is just the generic spy score for this film. And, like, I'm usually, like, I'm not too fussed about music in films. It is what it is. It's fine. I'm I'm not really going to get pedantic about it. But in this... It might be one of, not the worst scores, but it was kind of not good. It, it was bad, and it's funny you mention that, because it's it's one of those things, because usually when a movie's like not that good, you know, the, like if you, someone says, oh, I, you know, the movie was fine, but the score was great. I mean, that, that's it's usually like a go-to, like, backhanded compliment to a movie. And you're <laughs> like, oh, but it was scored really well. The fact that you're like, it's even poorly scored, like... Because it just lays over this movie, like, all right, we need to make it exciting somehow. And then this is the guy who made Con Air. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2012, he also made uh, The Expendables 2, which I'm not yeah. too familiar with all the Expendable movies, but I know people that like them. And I think the second one is better than the first. So, like, 
And then Simon West really didn't do much after stolen. I mean, I looked at his IMDb and it was like even more TV stuff. It was either TV or even more straight to video, but like nothing of, I have Nick Cage. I have some, you know, Malin Ackerman who I feel bad for her because it's like you, you, she's always something like you deserve better than being in this movie. At least he didn't make her like, at least they didn't make her like Cage's love interest. Yeah. I mean, I, I was kind of glad they didn't do that and just force the love interest because it's something they very easily could have shoehorned in to this film. Um, I find it's always interesting with Simon West though, because like you said, he, he you know, you go from Con Air and like the first, your first feature film in, uh, in 97 is Con Air. And it's like, Holy shit, man! Like that's so much fun. I mean, it's one of my most watched movies. It's one. Of, it's up there with one. I think the best Cage film, sort of hands down. And as you said, he he did the Expendables two, same year. But um, it was interesting. Like when this released, I think it was September fourteenth in the US on twenty twelve, which would have been my birthday, no less. Oh, happy, um, birthday. <laughs> happy birthday for ten years ago. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it, it basically just didn't make an impact at all because, the, like we said, there was no promo for this. I tried to find anything like interviews online, uh, yeah. interviews on YouTube. You can find some clips and trailers, but nothing about this. So it barely charted. I think it made like um, uh, th- 18 million overall in the box office and a budget of 35 million. Opening weekend, it was rounding up uh, 183,000. But apparently it was only in the theatres for like two weeks and then it got pulled. But I'm thinking from a Simon West perspective, because when this came out, Expendables 2 was still charting. That was at number six at the time. So Simon West is kind of like, I'm making bank on that Expendables 2 money. I'm doing I'm good. well. <laughs> like, I'm not uh, upset about Stolen. Because <laughs> he has... Uh, no, no, I think it's it's interesting because you have... Yeah, you have Conair... Uh, again, I didn't realize he made the famous uh, Budweiser Frogs commercial. Yeah, the, uh, the Budweiser. Yeah, um, I, I this is IMDb. You never see a commercial like list it. <laughs> so Con Air, <laughs> the General's Daughter, which I don't remember, Tomb Raider. Okay, that was a hit. And then when it, the When a Stranger's Calls remake, like five years later, uh, and then he makes the Mechanic with Jason Statham. I'm just skipping over like the TV stuff. Expendables 2 and he works till stolen and then I he does a movie I think it's Stratton with Jason Statham again and then I don't recognize any of the like everything up after uh Stratton I don't recognize yeah. anyway in, in a lot so of ways I anything qu- post Expendables 2 doesn't matter but I think to round no. off Simon West arguably the greatest achievement is that he directed uh Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up music video as well well, that's Which... even more important than anything I just <laughs> I see it right here. I, I didn't read that far. Um, I have a question, though, about... Um, Shoot. Like, we'll just throw out my questions here. Speaking of how things just kind of happen and no one has a... The MC... The, the Hoyt and Vincent relationship, eventually, you find out, to me, doesn't make any sense because... Uh, and I, I'm waiting to get to the FBI. I just talk about the criminals at the moment. They... All of a sudden, we we meet, you know, by the time we meet them and everything, like I said, I'm jumping around here because I don't know how much there is. And I'm like, wait, you guys are working together and you're just like, pull, like, it didn't make sense to me. They're like, like, especially Vincent having a steady job at the cab stand for two years. What? Why? 
well, this guy doesn't seem like he should have a it seems like he would be driving an undercover cab and is taking like hard cash. Yeah, it's I, I don't know. That was like baffling to me. <laughs> I think there's a lot of convenience about this film where characters and plot just means they can just be where they need to be with, with such minimal, frustratingly minimal mm. explanation. Um, except that Vincent, after the heist, well, how he kind of explains is like, well, Will, you were basically the backbone of the operation when you got arrested. The uh, it's like the bottom fell out. So he just lives in a like an apartment in New Orleans. Um, Riley is working in a bar, and then Vincent. Um, lost a leg due to complications with the bullet wound, and then, as Hoyt says, he went numb, and he yeah. blamed Cage for it, and that's basically his motivation. Um, so everyone's just been you know, either under the radar or just angry for eight years. Um, but I think, my, I think the eight-year skip, it's just basically Cage gets arrested, and then literally a second later, just eight years later, and then he's coming out of prison. I'm like, we're going to get no time to process this. He's just nope. straight out. We're going right back to New Orleans. No time so everyone, to process it at yeah, all. No one moved away from NOLA. You know, nothing. And then at the top of it, the FBI. <laughs> there, There is no stakes in this movie for them to be this invested in, in this height. Like, they're like, he's the top. <laughs> no. They're the top... Uh, thieves in the country great you arrested him and then he's like where's the 10 million it's 10 million like cash those literally they're marked bills they weren't processed that's forgotten about they that fbi agent eight years later should not care about like it seems weird to say a measly 10 million dollars that you already arrested the guy for whether it's gone or not like it <laughs> have that level of detail on him i was like what who can you shouldn't care oh my god and I'm going to hold off on it, but remind me later to bring up like the ending ending. Cause I was like, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> yes. But yeah, they were like way too invested in this $10 million, which is, it's cash. So it's not even like it's the hard gold. If it's hard gold, I, I kind of would understand, but cash, like if you're a bank robber and you steal money, it's tracked. Meaning they have those, those, they know, okay, this stack was stolen. It's, you know, this number, Someone goes to use that money eventually. You're gonna, it's gonna pop up in a system at some point as a marked mm -hmm. bit. Like, why? Why? Like, <laughs> the FBI just, it, I, I just really want to know. Like, all the resource, like there was more destruction the FBI caused by chasing this guy than just letting him break parole as he normally would. Yeah, I mean that. This is a great point because I wish they'd kind of. Um... I guess kind of touched upon this just alleged and implied connection between um, it's Harland, Tim Harland, and uh, Will. Because it, it, it's implied that they've got this kind of history, that it's been maybe some kind of cat and mouse game with them before yeah. the film. Um, but the only context you get is that when Will gets caught, um, because he's he's been basically caught and crashed the police car and... Um, Will just says to him, like, this is, he's like, my wedding, my twin girls capturing you. These are the highlights of my life. And I was like, we're 15 it's... minutes into this film. I don't know who these characters are. And this, I'm supposed to know there's like a whole backstory here. All you need, I mean, it, it does unsuccessfully what Face Off does very successfully, right? 
Yeah. Like John Travolta, like we have the stake of why he's chasing Caster Troy so hard. And, and yeah. it's important. And it's done in a pretty convenient time in face off. This one, like you said, it, it, there's no throwaway line from the lead FBI agent. There's nothing. It's just we need to get this guy. Yeah. I, I'm like, oh, okay. Um, what are we doing here? And just the obsession. And then just jump forward at the end when he was like, I finally could rest now. Why? You and your <laughs> other, F- which I, I'll admit, I did chuckle. I did like chuckle at the cutesy ending of the, of the like, don't throw it, Will, throw it. As if like, there's other, there's so many worse criminals. And then this movie, I don't know if you noticed it or like rolled your eyes about it. It needs to go out of its way every time there's a like commotion with Will and someone to make you know he's a good guy. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's like, <laughs> it's like overly done. It's like, it's like, no, you know, the Nick Cage is like, he, he is such a nice guy in this movie, but he just happens to be a bank robber. Yeah, they make it very clear that he's, I don't know, the misunderstood criminal, you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I always I always love it in films like this when someone just has to make an over-on-the-reference um, comment about the character or something. When, um, when Will goes to see Hoyt, because he, um, I think he learns that Hoyt's still in New Orleans, Hoyt might have a lead on where Vincent is. So they have that big fight. Um, Hoyt's on the floor with like a broken nose, and then he makes a comment. It's like, "You're the greatest bank robber in American history." I was like, "Every such bank robber is." <laughs> they, they, you know, everyone has to just make that comment. And I was like, "Is this, is this why Harland is so obsessed?" Even though there's, um, you know, I'm sure in the eight years that have gone past, and this is the point, right? Because. Harlan and Fletcher pick uh, Will Montgomery up when he leaves prison, and they're immediately well, looking. On him. I'll give Kate. Sorry, I give Cage a credit. Leaving prison, he looks great. He looks really good. Not I'm faced. Sorry, he's leaving, he's leaving. <laughs> I'm like, God, Nick, you still got it. Sorry, go go on. Uh, I mean, so I like. I don't know the U.S. prison system. I don't know what kind of life he had inside, but he comes out. And good. He, <laughs> I mean, he wasn't like physically or mentally scarred he just picked up where he left off and is like okay i'm gonna get on with my life now the only reference which i thought you know okay a bit much um fletcher was waiting for him in the car and he's like hey i hope you got raped every day and i was like okay, it was so aggressive okay. and then um, about much. Hoyt also not Hoyt. i'm sorry the um god what's the lead what's the main fbi's guy's names like you said it kind of names uh, tim together. harland Tim Holland. All right, him. He had like everyone waiting on him, hand and foot. Did you notice that too? Like he's waiting, and like he ever's everyone, not just working for him, but like butlers. Like, like there were two scenes. Him in the car, just you know, oh, nice to meet you. Like he's a mob boss. Yeah. And then <laughs> when he was looking at the big board of like where the money is, the his his female employees like pouring the sugar in his coffee. He's holding his coffee cup out. And I was <laughs> yes. like, it was a weird, like, it was such a weird choice because it was like, wait, so this FBI guy is acting like, like a, like a, like a, he needs everything done for him except doing his job. 
Yeah, so I mean, it's like, I don't know, again, I don't know how the FBI runs, I don't know what the hierarchy system is, what kind of swing you have, if you're at the top, like Harland is supposed to be. But But imagine you're a detective. You're a detective and your boss is like, all right, can you pour the sugar in my coffee cup? Like, it's it's such a little moment, and I know there's so many other things in this movie. (laughs) I was like, what are we doing here, man? We, like, it it was kind of funny. Um, and then like, all right, where was, where the hell was, I know they went a throwaway line, but didn't the girl's mother need to be informed just a little bit what was going on? You'd have thought so. Um, I think because he, he goes to visit his estranged daughter, Allison, and, um, she's going to her therapy session because she has, uh, abandonment issues because obviously her father's been in prison for eight years. They only make a reference to the mother being off screen because she's on a, a date with Dave or something, and that's the only reference you get yeah. just to write the mother out of the film. Because it because it does like a few. I know like Simon West obviously didn't write it or whatever, but it does have a few like Con Air parallels, right? Like in its setup and the way we structure these things. I thought maybe one of them would bring the what the the, the, the ex wife in for some sort of a uh, you know background of oh you know oh Will used to stop at uh, he might be at blah 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 he used to hang there where's my daughter right like you think she and I was like oh okay okay she wasn't um, because the other parallels like and I think I had it been on purposes of him getting the 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 stuffed animal to give her. Yeah, like he does for uh, his daughter in in Con Air, has yeah. to be some sort of similarity there. Uh, the daughter also just completely forgotten about. I mean, I, I truly feel like they had her. They're like, we have a few scenes, and then Will just makes that final scene, the climax, which wasn't bad. I, I'll give it this credit. Makes it so much worse. <laughs> he drove the car into the water. You didn't need to do that. Yeah, it's on fire. <laughs> so obviously jumping ahead to the end, the big climax. That Sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, we. I, it, my point. I, I didn't mean to jump right to the end here, but like, there's just so many, so many stupid things in this movie, and it's a. I. It's kind of fun. Yeah, it's it. It is. It is just kind of a stupid movie, and I think. I think this is kind of one of my issues with it, which is kind of touching on what you said with the daughter being forgotten about in that I think, again, if we're going to compare it to Taken being the most obvious point of comparison, I think unlike Taken, um, this installment, there just didn't feel to be any, um, I guess, stakes or yeah. drama. Like, I never felt that Will was in danger. I never really felt that Allison was in danger from basically the opening moments of the film to the finale, which we'll get to, I always felt like Alison was going to be saved. I didn't feel you know, there's any point where that was going to go a different way. I, well, okay, let's fix the movie, right? Let's let's fix the movie a little bit. I think okay. it needed, like how in Taken, like, you know, in Taken, the best friend just straight up gets, spoiler for Taken, just straight up gets murdered, like dies, like ODs or whatever. I forget if she gets shot. Anyway, there's another component, not just the daughter. Mm-hmm. I think it needed some parallel like that of like we mean business here not just like even the even the putting the train the putting the phone on the train which was clever yeah through the tracking phone um even that 
they didn't have a payoff really it just happened and it was like oh okay like it was kind of one of those things i think where the film just needs to tell us that remember will does know what he's doing and he is smart yeah um, he might have been away for eight years but he knows technology <laughs> even though he doesn't know what gps is or like a tom <laughs> tom he knows how to forward a call and uh put a put a uh, a cell phone on a train to tuscaloosa um oh, quick which from a british perspective i have no idea what that is but i love the way it sounds when i say it um, um i've only been in new orleans once i'm from i'm from the east coast in new jersey not near louisiana which is in the south couldn't tell you how far that is if it's close um and one thing to notice when you're watching any of these movies with any of the guests with any of your guests these straight to dvd movies pay attention how many locations are new orleans because especially nick cage movies are almost all in new orleans since the straight to dvd boom and i think that's because they could film on location and it's cheap it's like with tax wise it's cheap to film there yeah. anyway they make it during mardi gras and it just frustrated me that they didn't use it like to their advantage yeah they could have used it more it seemed to just kind of be um i'll have stakes in front of a crowd or you can just disguise yourself in front of people i did speaking of disguises the first time will loses the fbi and he just even though they've got a clear line of sight on him a pretty clear line of sight it's down a straight like pathway um he just stops puts on a gold mask which obviously the fbi can't see because he has his back to them and then he turns left and he loses them and yeah. i was like that's spy still- logic right there and he still looks like Will. Like I like I was like, oh, clearly that's the guy we're tracking. <laughs> it's like, like it's, if you're a trained FBI agent, you're like, okay, like he's wearing like a black jacket, black shirt, like black everything. Um, and there's like his face, he looks suspiciously like Nick Cage. Um, and then the FBI was bad at their job. Yeah, they're just I think willfully neglectful because this is this comes on to another point I wanted to make when um after the abduction, Will learns that Vincent is alive because Harlan has told him that he's dead. I think just to make a point, just to kind of be a dick, because he's yeah. Will's still a nice guy. Like you've been saying, he's like, "Hey, like Vincent abandoned you. Vincent's dead," and he's like, "He's still my friend." Um, and then he learns Vincent is alive. So when he goes back to the FBI, he's like, um, "Look, Vincent's still alive. He's abducted my daughter. I need to get ten million dollars in twenty-four hours. I'm not making this up." And then they're like, I'm not going to do my job. I don't believe you. I'm not going to do any investigative work whatsoever. Get out of here, Nick Cage. Um, which is just negligence of the highest, what? highest scope. The f- like, it... And it... Because he does the right thing. He literally goes to the top. He's like, I'm going to the top. And says this, and they just go, get out of here. And then they tail him still. It <laughs> cannot agree with you more. Um, but... Yeah, and then speaking of this being in, in a bit ago, being in New Orleans, like, so New Orleans, like, there's a, to that area, I believe there's, like, a very distinct accent these these people have. Like, it's, it's uh, like, some people almost sound like characters, like, the way they, they talk. Um, and the only one that comes close to that is maybe the star of the movie, the cab stand guy, who's so the worst. i him up. Who's... <sighs> The in the best way possible, the worst actor in the movie, but he's the best actor in the like. He was like, oh. he was just having fun. I loved him. I wanted to see him, and I'd rather see the movie with him 
and the cabbie that uh, Cage, once again, still being a nice guy, holding a gun to the guy's head, steals. That movie's so much more interesting. Oh, man. Like, when when he came on screen, I was like... and Obviously, I say this with respect. Like, he's not a great actor, but in the weirdest, most perverse way, it oh, makes it him the best actor yeah, on screen. Um, so I think he's... I mean, my note in all caps is, I want an entire film of Lafleur at his job just saying stuff. Um, I suppose to bring him into context, um, Cage remembers uh, that Vincent is driving a cab. He hijacks a cab with another guy called Bertrand, gets Bertrand uh, under extreme duress to go to his boss, Lafleur, to reveal Vincent's cab information so that he can find him. Um, And Lafleur, again, like I don't know if this is a representative New Orleans accent, if this is Cajun. I I Um, couldn't even tell you either, but (laughs) guy's killing it. I, I wrote some quotes down, um, like three Please. three quotes. I mean, the first one, um, when they're basically, between Will and Bertrand, they're trying to persuade Lafleur to give them the information. Um, and then Cage is like, I'll oh, tell him that he's like, tell him he's stealing cab fares. And then um, <laughs> Lafleur's direct quote is, and I'm so sorry if the accent I'm about to do, if this is not representative of New Orleans, or anything like that. Yeah, I'm you're, so you're, sorry. You're uh, the quote is, are you telling me the creepy bath to be running around snitching my dough? Like, snitching. Snitching is one snitching. of the... <laughs> Straight it's, it's snitching. Straight snitching. Um, outstanding. I, I even la- I'd be honest. I even laughed at the joke when the cops come, uh, or the FBI comes, and they're like, he's like, he scares my kids. They're 20. <laughs> like, I thought it was funny. Um, I got that one it, down. Um he do scare my kids when they come to visit their daddy at work. My kids are in their 20s. It was yeah. just so flatly delivered and it made it comic gold. Um, my other quote that I wrote down of the three, so we've got snitching, we've got scares my kids, and um, this is when Will's now ejected Bertrand from the cab and he just says, like, thank you to the floor on the, over the, um, the walkie-talkie or whatever it is. Um, but um, Bertrand's gone. Lafleur realizes that's not his cab driver anymore, and he says, "And I quote: Did you just turn white on me all of a sudden? Who that is?" Yeah, um, hysterical. And I was like, "Fucking yes!" It was. It just. I don't know. It was the best part of the movie. He, def- <laughs> he definitely makes like a reference to like his his penis, his hog as well, because Bertrand's like, "Oh, I need, I, I need the figures or something." He's like, "It's nine inches, and it fires again when you tickle it," or it was something like that. And I was like, "God damn it, this guy does not miss." And it's the best and worst writing of the film. And this is what makes this film worthwhile. Just, just for, for Bertrand. Bertrand um, LaFleur, I'm sorry, absolutely. for LaFleur. Um, yeah, and it's so, you know, this movie, like I like you said, there's very little about this online. So, like, I'm sure like you, like you did, uh, I read the IMDb trivia. There was like five facts, essential facts. <laughs> but the fact that it was supposed to be named Medallion, me, like it, it was so much clearly someone originally wanted this thing centered around the cab riding of this movie than yeah. what it actually is because you know a medallion is what you need to own a cab mm-hmm. it's essentially your cab your cab driver's license um and i give me more of the cabs thing give me a taxi reboot 
the Danny DeVito show from like the 80s, but with this guy. And then we'll just run out of the cab stand with a bunch of characters. We'll bring Vincent back and his, his gimpy leg. Um, <laughs> but that, that the, just the Vincent's wig, it was so jarring. When it's you just, have a worse wig than Nick Cage in a movie, you know you're doing something right. <laughs> when your wig is worse than Nick Cage's actual hair, then um, something has gone wrong. This is kind of like a point I've touched on before, and it's how I think especially in the 2010s when, as we were touching upon earlier, when it hits 2010 and then suddenly all the DVDs start coming out and it's just a progressive with a few exceptions, like we said, with Joe and such, um, yeah. which, which, as I said, completely agree, his most underrated work, in my humble opinion. You can just chart. Agree with that. Um, you can just chart the decline of his his movies and his effort through his hair and just how big it gets, how receding it becomes. And then you look at it in like 2021, where he's he's definitely had work done because it's it's lined up. It's looking like a young man's haircut. It's yeah. too like young look, for a 57 like year old man. It like looked better like recently in like uh, Willie's Wonderland, like you know it wasn't this this. It worked, but yeah, the the hair. I think we could really just chronicle chronologically tell where we're at with the Cage movie by his hair, right? Like if <laughs> if like my if I went home, and my dad was like watching one of these movies on like cable, which is something he would be doing. I could I don't need to know what Nick Cage movie it is. I could be like, oh, inconceivable. This is an uh, early 2000, a, t- a teens Nick Cage movie. Look at the hairline. <laughs> like, you know where you're at. It's, it's, <laughs> this is actually something I've kind of discussed on a previous episode before for National Treasure uh, 2. Is that, you know, I think when my oh, that's podcast. A choice. It's a choice. Um, I think when my podcast, when the lifetime of this comes to an end, because unfortunately, for better or worse, Nick Cage can't put out films forever, and there'll come a point when he stops. I have to stop talking about Nicolas Cage. Um, but I was kind, of, I was kind of talking about it with the guest, um, is one of the hosts of the Film Vloggers podcast, that maybe my final episode of this should just be like a one hour, two hour, three hour comprehensive ranking from like all of his films of his hair. Um, just yeah, best definitely. to worst. The Cage Harry's name to be decided. Uh, get guests on to host like honorable mentions and stuff. That's a good finale. I, I mean, th- don't do it for a long time because I'm having a ton of fun, but that's a good <laughs> finale. Um, yeah. And I, because you're, you know, the, the point of your show is there, was there um, a true rage moment, a Cage rage moment in this? Because I really feel like, especially even being criminal, we, for the most part, have a, a very straight man, Nicolas Cage. Yeah, this is, well, like how some, I sometimes categorize the movies of Cage. It's Sometimes it's a Nicolas Cage film versus um, a film Nicolas Cage is in. Yes, um, I completely know what you mean by that. <laughs> there, was, there was another guest of mine for Drive Angry who broke this down further. I love Drive Angry underrated film i expected to kind of like really hate it but i really enjoyed it that's fun um, um but sorry but your guest broke it down and but all of the there's like four ways he broke it down but all of them involve cocaine it was like uh nick cage and the director on cocaine nick cage and the director not on cocaine nick cage on cocaine director on cocaine and it just makes it interesting to work out what's what oh. um i mean i, I don't, don't think, think any 
I think there was. I think, but you were going to say, I don't think there's any cocaine here. Yeah, I was going to say, there's no cocaine in this movie. Um, Not a whiff. No, I mean, like, and you, you just, especially something like this. Like, I want that little bit of Nick Cage because another Nick Cage comparison to this movie, maybe it's just because it's a heist thing is one of his better movies, and I think it's a movie with Nicolas Cage in it, category not, is Matchstick Men. Like, yeah. just with the heist, and, and, you know, I mean, that's Ridley Scott. Um, yeah. But that's just, that movie, I actually, uh, actually, that one, I hate it, always bothered me that it got put into that, like, Nick Cage loses his shit montage that went viral, and kind of why, which spiraled him into a meme, because I'm like, Oh, his character freaking out in that film has really purpose of him having that moment. It's not yeah. just for that. You shouldn't be laughing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but this movie, I want it. I just want it. You just needed like one thing. I almost wish like this movie's missing. It's um, Reservoir Dogs uh, Steelers wheel ear cutting moment, right? Like you needed that one kind of. Even if it came from Vincent, I want it like one true psychopath moment of like, there's something deranged going on. There's real, mm-hmm. like you said, but this whole time there's, the stakes never feel like they're at stake. And I think a lot of that has to do with even the FBI agent just being like, oh, Will, you crazy son of a bitch. Like you're yeah. at it again. And and Nick, Nick's so, Nick's as calm as the, the stand-in behind you of this whole movie. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it, it, this. I think I think it could have done with something a bit more explosive, and it's not that it couldn't have had more of a soundtrack because it opens and closes using a uh, Credence Clearwater revival well, song. The, so it's not shy about using CCR. Yeah. You and said it just the budget was thirty-five million. I mean, let's say that's the problem. That's where fifteen million of that budget went is to the CCR song <laughs> to get two CCR songs. Yeah. Um, like I said, I th- we, we don't obviously get like the Cage freak out, and obviously to quickly touch back on what you said, the Nick Cage losing his shit thing, touching to Matchstick Men, which I think is a fantastic film. I really enjoyed Matchstick Men, mm-hmm. um, but that it's one of those things where I think that didn't do anything to help the public perception of Nicolas Cage, where a lot of people just think he's. He's a cheesy actor. He's a bad actor. He just overacts and screams. This idea that he takes any film that's put in front of him, um, that did nothing to help perception. But obviously, you can put anyone, any actor, just doing certain things out of context. There's a video of like Arnold Schwarzenegger and all his screams in chronological order, which, <laughs> okay, maybe a bad point of comparison. But in that point in the pharmacy, this is what I call a warranted cage scream. Yeah. Some, sure, you can scream for the sake of screaming, but then sometimes it's like you're screaming because we're at this point in the movie, because this has happened. It's been a journey to the scream. And we don't really get this. Well, we get one scream, which goes to the end, when he's trying to get the taxi, uh, the car boot of the taxi open. But that's kind yes. of like, that's an exerted effort scream. That's kind of like, yeah, that makes that. makes. That's not that's cage screaming, not so much a cage scream, if that makes sense. It's like the it's like, you know, the like Simon West said, All right, you're not gonna make your own choices in this movie. (laughs) Like you're this is who Will is and you're gonna stick with it. Um Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I and and I by the way, I don't look for these movies to have Kate like I appreciate a better 
film with Nick Cage in it than like a Nicolas Cage movie. And even I consider like the the staples, like your Con Airs, your Face Offs, like just good movies with Nicolas Cage in it where he gets to do his thing. Mm-hmm. Not like, uh, like, you know, I mean, I guess it's the art house version of this, but like, not like Bad Lieutenant, right? Like I watch Bad Lieutenant to go, Oh, we're just we're just going crazy. Like I, that's like that's a fun one. That's a I mean, it's not a fun movie. There's weird stuff in it, but that's or or what's the one um where he's essentially uh that his brother directed um it's that noir. It's terrible, but Cage is electric in it. It's from the early nineties. I'm thinking of a uh, oh, was it a uh, uh, Deadfall? Deadfall. Yeah. 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 Something like Deadfall. You're watching, and that's just Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage with a big prosthetic, and you have to do you have to do things. Any I'm rambling here. Um I yeah, it it this stolen, I've I've come I'm coming to the conclusion. It's a movie that I could see like my dad watching it on like a Sunday afternoon. It's on like cable. And him saying, oh, have you seen this one? It was pretty good because it's just like generic thriller filler. And if you fall asleep for like 20 minutes, you've missed nothing. That's that's exactly it. It's kind of like this is the kind of film that your dad watches just so he can tell you what he would do. This is a dad explanation movie (laughs) Um, in the most respectful way. Also, you just reminded me and it was a note I had in here. This movie also every character, not just Nicholas, not just Nicholas Cage. I mean, from Malin Ackerman to Josh Lucas to the FBI guy, is just Mister Exposition. Everyone yeah. at every moment is giving you exposition of what's going on. Like I, I audibly laughed when uh, Josh Lucas takes the daughter out of the trunk and just tells her what's what, the purpose of his being here right now. And it was like, yeah, you already kidnapped her. You've injected her with two doses. You don't need to talk to her anymore. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like even even Lafleur's lines just exist to, like as comedy, but to you know highlight characters like Vincent, like he do scare my kids. It's like okay, we yeah. get it. He's scary because because the motivation for him being scary is because, like you say, he's got a bad wig and he's got a prosthetic leg. That seems to be why he's scary. He's a bit dirtier. Yeah. Eight yeah, years the, later, the, they they were they've multiple times revealed the leg as if it's as if he has three heads, like as if people aren't amputees. It's, <laughs> it's like, like, oh my god! I oh, stay to, away from him. I was like, I was supposed to watch this like the when he reveals the leg and be like, oh god, I knew the amputees were bad news. Fuck! Um, I was like, okay, like is that? okay like that was my reaction like yeah cool he's an amputee like like, what about him am i supposed to be like something give me something unless that was the intention that me as the viewer are supposed to feel as numb as vincent is was that the point or am i just stretching no i think you're right i just i mean let's be real i I, it's not a good movie by any stretch like we're going to talk about this today (laughs) and then neither of us are going to watch this movie ever again unless it's presented <laughs> to us in some sort of fashion yeah to do this again right like i the only reason why i would buy this movie as we were talking about early on is just to complete out my nicholas ever-growing nicholas cage collection of movies yeah and that's if i see it at a dollar store 
you know, and I'm, oh, it's a dollar Blu-ray. Great. I, it's, it's going on the shelf. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to pay recommended retail price. I'm not paying RRP for this. Um, At first, I was like, oh, man, um, you know, I watched it for free with commercials. Maybe maybe something's edited out because it's f- free on YouTube in the, in the States. Mm-hmm. And then more into it, I'm like, no, you saved like three ninety nine dollars from Prime. You did the right thing. Uh, and because I really do this point for this as well. Yeah, I really do hate the interruption, though, when you're watching, you know, and it's like three sponsored ads and you're like, <laughs> yeah um, yeah so. I, I, was, I was still thinking though because there's, there's no big cage moment and it's it is like you say a lot of lines of dialogue just kind of serve the purposes either uh exposition or just to it's either exposition or to tell us that vincent is bad that's the only purpose the dialogue serves yeah. and even when vincent is talking there was that bit when he's in the alleyway and he's talking to the um uh, the motorcycle cop, and he tries. He tries to go on this, um, as we were saying earlier, this Joker tangent. Yeah, because obviously Joker, the famous thing is like, you want to know how I got these scars, and he's just like, I know what you're thinking. Why would a dying man shave? And the cop's like, like, no, no. And then he gets shot. Um, and I was like, the, what a blowout. <laughs> yeah, and the cop. I mean, yeah, he, he's he, you know. My father, uh, you know, he uh, was uh, his liver failure, whatever, right? But that was if the Joker was doing that um, terribly good impression. Um, but no, he, that cop, though, once again, just these awful cops of, just I mean, by awful, I mean, just bad at their job of this guy is clearly creepy. You hear someone saying, help, help. Hey, could you come around and get the trunk? You don't pull your gun out. You don't have any sort of, you know, blind faith in this guy to just open the trunk. It. I was like, yeah, that that's on you, officer. You were just not prepared. Because <laughs> like the holes in chest, you're, you're done. Well, I know, like in the U.S., right? And one of my first notes, actually, I'll give the script credit in that scene for at least addressing that the cop. Why the hell was he pulling him over? Because I did write. Oh, a cop in New Orleans, and New Orleans kind of is like infiltrated with a party in a very like ghetto areas, like like um, not infiltrated. That's the wrong word, but you know, it, it's a very. Uh, I feel like the cops would be very busy in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, a cop during Mardi Gras is not pulling over a cab in the slightest, and but they did give an answer, and I'm not going to nitpick the structure of this. Right, something needed to happen. But I know at least in the U, like in Jersey, um, if a cop pulls you over, like speeding ticket, they wait for another cop to come up and pull up behind them before they get out of their car and address the ticket, or while they're talking to. Like another officer will always come. It's just like I think a protocol. So for this one, I'm like, what is that cop doing? Like he, you heard help, help from the trunk, and you're like, oh, oh, we'll have the guy just completely. Uh, he'll, he'll be fine. Yeah, it's it seems it seems like a lot of it's kind of written from someone who doesn't know how things work. Yeah, which was uh, another point actually relating to the cab when the um, the Australian passenger gets in. It's like right, what? How would I write an Australian man if I've never been to Australia, have no reference points for Australia? And he's just like, oh, you take me down the road, mate. I've got to meet up with these Sheilas. I haven't got my Donna wet since I got here. And other such Australian yeah, phrases. He, he he says something of like, 
like something on like a like, yeah he says like a not a common phrase that i don't even think australians probably say you were right that was like hack that was hack yeah it's it's like he's this australian tourist is just interrupting vincent going on his different rants because he just mutters to himself in the taxi as well and um there's that bit just before he got he gets in where Vincent's like the only thing with any balls to come to this town was the hurricane because he's just pissed off by all the people. Yeah. Then the Aussie gets in, and then he's trying to tell him about like the history. I don't know if it's the history of New Orleans or the or America. I it's think like, it's the thing New Orleans. I think they're you know yeah like Louis the Fourteenth and it's like Louis the Fourteenth, and then this is this is a, a town built by criminals or something. That is true, I believe. I'm not sure, but then he just beats the guy up because he's like, you're casually dismissing the pioneers New Orleans. And I was like, you could have just asked him to get out. (laughs) You you do need to drive him. But that was the thing of this movie. They just wanted to show Vincent being a psychopath. But I just feel like we're in such... Because he even says psychopath and like the score like has that flutter of like, he's a psychopath. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, going back to the score, I think, you know, just very briefly, it feels like they tried to make the score do a lot of heavy lifting to tell us what was happening. Like, the psychopath mm-hmm. flutter for Vincent, or any time Cage did anything by, like... And most of what he did was unnecessarily beat up police officers. I mean, whether yeah. you're a cab or not, he beat, he beat up a lot of officers. Then he, he did. <laughs> he karate he did. chopped like two officers in the lift of the FBI, and they were escorting him out of the building. He didn't need to do that. No. But then he, but then he walks away like um, adjusts his shirt, and then the music's like no 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 no. I was like, you're not James Bond. This was completely unnecessary. Why did you do that? that? <laughs> he beats him up, and then he has this Captain America moment in the elevator. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah. and it was like, yeah. I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't think you needed to. Uh, yeah, that one move though, where he'd win, he'd hit their windpipe. And that, <laughs> yeah. The well, other thing you reminded me of it is because I actually liked it in the car when he broke breaks his hand to get out of the cuffs. I'm like, that's a cool moment. Yeah. Never comes back. His hand's completely fine. Yeah, it's it's. Such this he has, weird. He's gelatin in his bones. He's just, you know, just, he's an eel man. He's just a jelly yeah. boy. Again, you know, eight years changes a man physically and mentally. But it's like, um, other than that one line from Hoyt saying, "You're America's greatest bank robber," he's just kind of. The film just wants us to believe that he's also this super capable Liam Neeson taken esque character, even though there's no reason to suspect that he has this fighting background. And he, like he says, that's quite a cool moment. He's like, he breaks his hand to get out of the cuffs. And this leads into another thing, actually, I wanted to talk about where the script is just like, fuck it. We had like a minute of screen time to fill when he then, um, assaults two more police officers. And then he causes that huge, unnecessary car crash yeah, whilst the car crashes, and then it's so extravagant, it's so over the top, and then the car flips, hits into a bunch of things, and then the reason he does this is because um, Vincent is calling him on the Blackberry, and Vincent's made it clear at the start that I'm going to give you eight rings. If you don't answer by the eighth ring, your daughter dies. So he's like, I've got to answer the phone, I've got to answer the phone. So break hand, karate chop, car crash. But the car crashes for about a good 30 seconds. It's a long car crash. There would have been a lot of rings. <laughs> I think I think it was more, it was a generous eight from Vincent. It's it, like... Um, yeah, that, speaking of things that don't really come back to pay off, like, it's not... 
the eight ring thing wasn't necessary. Like she's also in the trunk the whole time. Like yeah. I, she should have, I'm once again, we're not writing that we didn't make the movie, but wouldn't it have been more effective if like he had her in the trunk then she brought her to like a location that maybe, maybe she is slowly getting tortured. Maybe, maybe he's cutting off fingertips every missed call or something right yeah, like if it's set a give, picture of like a, a finger off like yeah. right we've got some stakes we've got some drama like the time the clock's ticking something and then when she runs away i was mad at her like she runs down uh a random alleyway with a barbed wire fence i'm like it had been new orleans is a very i think like labyrinthy town too like it, it's not it's a city so it she could have she could have done more yeah, I think the only thing again, I know about again. New Orleans is from Cage films. Um, yeah. I think like, like I think, Zanderley, the only thing I know about alleyways is that Cage can fuck down an alley. He um, can. I think, I mean, <laughs> I, I obviously reading way too into this movie and movie needed to happen, but yeah, it's it's flat. That's, I write, everything here is flat or the best moments are what we're talking about of just, why'd they do it this way? <laughs> and I mean, just just to emphasize my point with the the big car crash, it's when it crashes, uh, Cage's character completely unharmed just climbs out of the wreckage and answers the phone like "Hello," and he's fine. And I re- I'm gonna not gonna lie, I really chuckled at that. That was a oh really, yeah, such a high point for me. But <laughs> this is the, it- the thing with his character. It's so con- he's where he needs to be. He has the skills that he needs to have. And there's one line that highlights this when um, he goes back to Riley and he's explaining the situation. He's like, we've got to go back to the bank that we robbed because I need to get the gold. It's worth a hundred million. That's, and she's, when they're robbing it and she's like, how did you know about this? And his explanation is, I was bored in prison. And that's how we know how to get under the prison, how we knew how to rob it, melt the gold. Um, Why didn't we have any little, like, little, little nugget at some point to tell us, hey, he's actually been plotting to go back to rob the bank? Because I wrote the same thing down of that's your explanation. (laughs) Two things with that scene is it's been eight years. You don't think that the banks changed their security system since they had the world's greatest thief steal $10 million from said bank? Yeah. And... Uh, generally wondering and then said I, I don't mean to be nitpicky because if I'm actually watching these movies not on a podcast I'm not thinking of these things mm-hmm. sure why did this gold melt like that like that quickly and efficiently I don't I think they had I mean I kind of looked on just to scan over the plot of Wikipedia just sometimes it's after I've watched the film like just to make sure I've not missed anything and like sure. bullet point form I think they said he had thermal lace, even though they don't explain the stuff that he's using. It's just he has a, a large rod that he's just jabbing a roof with. They happen to be under the gold because they can melt it. They say it's worth like a hundred million if they give him the gold. Although, um, this is another one of my favorite lines, and it's not a huge memorable cage line in the pantheon of all his famous quotes, but in terms of this film, I think this is one of the quote closest to a Cajian delivery that we get. So they've triggered an alarm because I think the heat's gone over like 106 degrees or something. Right, he's like, right, uh, we got to bounce, we got to get out of here. But he's still holding on, he's still melting it. And she says, what are you doing? And he said something like, 
Just want to see if I can get more gold out of it. And he holds the O on gold so unnecessarily long. He was able he was able to make a choice uh, against Simon Wish Simon West's wishes at that point. He's like, I could I could get some of my neck out and say the gold. <laughs> like this is, this I, is, I did just look up, so I'm wrong here to say this, to question it. Gold is as a low melting point for metal. So you could do it, we could do it with any sort of torch. So kudos to them but point being is that plan shouldn't work eight years is is a long time earlier like i mentioned the movie blue street similar Mm -hmm. kind of plot like i have to go back and get a thing i hid in a a police station that movie actually puts like stakes at even in a comedy of like oh the diamond fell in the venting system and there was a flood and, and you know it's a whole new thing not just it's the same place as it was the, the gold's in the same spot it was eight years ago as it is as it was eight years ago. Like, it's completely goofy. But yeah, they, I don't know. It That made me laugh. The whole, like, we're going back to the to heist out the gold because I, this is what I could give him to get the equivalent of 10 million. And they sure showed he was obsessed with that gold bars. But just, there's no work done to let us know that it's still there, except he did research in prison. And, you know, Malin Ackerman, she's just like, or, or Riley, she's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. I, I, I'm i still good. Like, we're, we're good. Great. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. it. <clears throat> he, he talks it, to her in Swedish, so I think that's code for, you know, this is serious when I'm using your, um, you know, your, your native tongue yeah. to communicate with you. That was, a, and once again, a thing they don't. Like, all you need to establish, they know Swedish, because we know that, you know, she's from Sweden, the mm-hmm. actress. All we need, all we need, and but she doesn't have an accent, she doesn't, you know, is his, in, in the, maybe in the car or something in the early heist, if he says something in Swedish to her, and they have a moment, so that way, what, 50 minutes into the movie, when it happens, <laughs> you go, that's their thing. Yeah, it's kind of like unless uh, like losers like us, you go onto IMDb for a film like this and know <laughs> that Malinakamen is Swedish. Yeah, I, that's the only reason it makes sense why that happened. Yeah, it, it, you, literally all you needed was because we had enough time in that intro to be like, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm, you know, gibberish words in Swedish. Riley, great. Like you parked the car, great. The only I thing s- they set up with her is that. Um, you know, Hoyt is a sexist and no one respects her on the team except for Nicolas Cage. Everything else was like, all it's, right. It, it's a weird thing because they don't really set up what each person of the height actually does. I think, you know, Cage is the brains. She, Riley, she was the driver. So I think, I think it was Hoyt that drove off. So I wasn't sure if it was her or they were both oh. on driving duties in case one got a bit sleepy. They Maybe. could take it in shifts. Because Hoyt, I thought, was like, the time like time management guy like he was just like all right you need to go here and here and he had the pinpoints this is the way i saw it at least she was the driver and cage and vincent were just you know like cage was the brains and like the hands-on and vincent was your wild card who helps with everything but is really just a body yeah, I, th- I, th- I think this is kind of indicative of what we've been saying earlier, that even with the dialogue, the characters ultimately just serve a purpose to get Cage to the next scene. 
like oh you need to go to Hoyt Hoyt's going to point you here the next person's going to point you here um although again with the with the opening heist we do get um another um just weird line just to highlight that Vincent is a thief and a magpie and that is bad is like like you know I like shiny things and this is the ultimate bright shiny thing because he's a magpie with one leg um because because writing it writer David Guggenheim uh, worked on Christmas Chronicles one and two Safe House and the TV series Designated <laughs> Survivor. Um, I did not I did not look at that writer, but good. F- I'm glad he's working. I'm glad he did <laughs> got more work after this. I wouldn't hire him. But, <laughs> it would yeah, not Guggenheim. It, <laughs> yeah, I don't. It's who's I now I got to look up. Um, Danny Houston. Oh, that's what I remember him from. The the FBI agent. Uh, one of the X-Men movies. I'm like, he's so familiar. Like the, this movie has just like a lot of working actors in it. Like just your character actor. But you know, I'm I, I don't know. I'm glad everyone got, I guess, hopefully got a nice paycheck for this because it it's uh there's it's good you do a podcast like this because people need to be reminded that this movie existed because it's gonna be it's gonna be forgotten about. It's gonna be a stolen memory. Yeah. Hey. 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 Um. But I'd, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's it is classified in the Rolodex of films as one that exists. Um. But I think as well, you know, as we sort of come to the end, I mean, just to touch on the ending as well, because we've been True. we've been skirting around the issue of the ending as well. Um, you know, at this point, you know, we're going towards the, the big climax. Will finally knows where uh, Vincent is. Um, the FBI have figured it out as well because reasons. Um, we do get one kind of cage yell here because Vincent's like, oh, did you listen to uh, Credence before this one? And he says, mm. no, I didn't listen to CCR. That didn't end up so well last time, did it? Um, which I think is one of the few cage outbursts that we get. Still yeah, muted, it, though. It, it, it does its purpose. Mm. But I don't know. I, I actually remember the ending different. Like I said, I watched this once prior to this. And I mean the ending, ending like the climax. Oh, I'm sorry, you're still going in the climax. I'll. The climax is uh, they're like at a dock essentially, ish. Mm-hmm. And um, Cage and Vincent they have their meetup, and once again the daughter still in the trunk, but now it's on fire, and they just take, and he he you know Cage gets one over on Vincent, but decides to drive the car straight into the water with his daughter in the trunk. And I still don't know why he did that. <laughs> See, it's the, it's the big showdown. Vincent shoots Will in the uh, the torso. So he's fighting with a bullet wound. The taxi gets set on fire. Um, he just he burns Vincent. So then with his hair as well and his shirts off, and, like, he jumps out of the water like, like that child Jason in Friday the 13th Part mm-hmm. 1. Um, my note was like he just looked like cricket from It's Always Sunny just because Oh, of my how- God. <laughs> Oh, I wish it was Cricket. Oh, if only. But then Cricket's got insane parkour skills as well, so that would have been an impossible odds. And at this point, Cage would have been, even though his character's age isn't isn't really established, Cage himself would have been between 46 and 48, I think. Yeah, that would be about where I'd put him at that, too. Um, 
we were saying as you were saying as well at the start of the heist, him running like it wasn't a short distance to go. He didn't really sprint. One of my notes was like, if you watch Cage run, especially in films at this era in the 2010s, he's not a comfortable runner at all. Um, he no, looks distressed when he runs. He like his probably, knees gonna give out. Even just as a person, I'm just guessing he probably is in like pain from all the shit he's put on his body up until that point is like <laughs> being like a very like uh flamboyant guy right like you know he probably did some crazy stuff where his legs probably hurt like his knees probably hurt his hips probably don't feel the best but <laughs> get your stunt double just to run like show us running a little quicker if um did you ever see the movie uh 88 minutes with uh pacino uh, yeah um very, not for a very long time very this you know movie um type of vibe but pacino in that movie another uncomfortable runner and this sort of reminds me of also <laughs> he's like running all over the place in that movie but it's like a saunter you know and he has 88 minutes to figure out who's calling him uh anyway that's what this reminded me of um yeah the ending fight it, it was like oh even with one leg uh this guy still should be able to like overpower cage in the water. Cause once again, all I was worried about for them, I'm like, why aren't you just trying to keep going back to the trunk? Like, like, like I feel like if I'm in that situation, even if I'm getting stabbed, I'm still just trying to get out of that trunk, not fight the guy off because I mean, she, she drowned, she drowned it. There's no other way around it. Yeah, she was definitely um, sub-aquatic for about a minute. Um, She was underwater. Um, She gets pulled out, and then their final scrap, I think he gets... Oh, Dad. (laughs) Dad. It's like, Dad, who I hate, but now love because you've saved me, Dad. Oh, no, don't die. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Summing that up, uh, Vincent takes, I think it's a crowbar through the chest or something. He, He gets put into the back of the taxi. The taxi sinks, because it does. That's it. Um, and then he gets picked up by the FBI. Uh, over here, over here, and because and then, the helicopter heard that. Um, <laughs> and then I, th- I thought, you know, maybe we're going to go for a bit of dark ending, or maybe he does die. And then, like, okay, well, well you know, it's a bit nope. late. But then, okay, we got some state. The dad risked himself to try and save the daughter, but no, we cut to the climax, as we've been saying. Um, it's Will, it's Riley, it's Allison. They're having a Don't. little grill for some shrimp. Don't forget, just before the uh, our lead FBI agent does also say, "You're good, man. You didn't stake that money. It was him." Like, oh my god, like yes, this guy. He's had yeah. this cat and mouse game with. He's put away. He clearly respects him, but he shouldn't like him. Like this guy has made your life a living hell, regardless of what's going on. <laughs> yes, he did his time, but he has that line. I'm like, oh, but sorry, you go there. They're making the shrimp. Uh, yeah. there's some cute banter of like, dad, you're going to ruin the, the shrimp. And now he's an overbearing father, like, you know, and I yeah. guess he's dating Malin Ackerman, which good for him. But like, yeah, yeah. like, like, okay. Um, but this is where my memory steered me wrong. So I remember that. I remember the ending, right? Mm-hmm. What I thought of the ending though, was I thought he wrote two things. I thought he revealed to like, like, oh, I actually did keep some of the money from their first from the start. For some reason, I thought that was revealed at the end that he didn't burn it. Uh, I was wrong. 
And then the other one was, I thought he turns to the guys on the boat and goes, just kidding, guys. Like, I don't, you know, I don't have the gold. Like, I thought he called them out. Yeah. So, obviously, he he protests throughout the whole film to say that he doesn't have the 10 million that he burnt it. And you're kind of thinking, like, yeah, but you've got it, though. No, but you've definitely got it, though. So, I think my suspension was difficult, but, like, yes, let's just let's just assume he's hidden 10 million in the panic moment of, like, less than a minute for eight years, undiscovered. Let's just assume that's correct. It's like, no, he was telling the truth. He literally did burn it. Um, we also then have to assume that, as you said... Harland has just forgiven all of his grudges and beefs with him, even though for at least eight years, implied to be more, it's been this cat and mouse game again, like you said. Um, he said that arresting him was the biggest moment of his life up there with the wedding and the birth of his children. And now he's like, yeah, Vincent's a piece of shit. Good for you. And then also, we just have to assume that when the FBI were investigating you know, all these crime scenes, Riley's pickup truck, they just happened to miss uh, to miss a giant chunk of melted gold in the back of a pickup truck. Um, between all of that, we get to the climax where they find it, and he's debating whether to like you know overhand just pitch it into um, into the bay- bayou um, to sort of clear him. Um, and then it looks like he do- does it. Fletcher and Harland are still watching him. Harland's rooting for that- him not to do it. Yeah, it was um, fine. Like at that point, I'm like, okay, at least there was life in that landing moment. Yeah, yeah, you know, we got something. You know, Harlan's done a complete 180 on him, a really, really quick, not entirely explained, but it's like at this point, sure, why not? Let's give him a happy ending. Um, and then we get that sort of twist where you think he throws it, but it's actually a decoy pine cone. And he's actually still got the gold, and it's implied they're going to cash it in and have a lovely life and a happy ever ending with some more well, um, uh, CCR um, to take us well, out I'm, into the credits. I'm glad we don't have to, you know, watch a stolen two. Yeah. Um, you know, to see what happened with them. It, I get it. Happy ending. Because it's not a dark movie as much as it tries to be. Um, it wants you to like it. But the question I have for you is would this have been better if it was a, a follow-up to Con Air and it was Cameron Poe post... Same same beats, same everything, almost to the T, except it's Cameron Poe in this situation. And, you know, I guess Casey's... His his daughter Casey's older and, and Monica Potter, you know, they're still together, happy life. But a similar thing happens. Would that be a better movie if Cameron Poe was daughter was taken... Let's say she's 17, 18 now. She's going to Mardi Gras. And uh, one of the guys from the original Con Air plane uh, is like, I, I'm going to get him back. I'm taking Cameron. Because almost everyone dies at the end of Con Air. So let's just hypothetically say, I don't know. Would it have been a better movie? Because he would have at least been doing his uh, baby doll. You know, <laughs> uh, put a old ribbon down the oak tree. Because <laughs> uh, daddy, he's coming home. Put the shrimp back on the barbie. Um, <laughs> although the accent would might have made a bit more sense. Um, <laughs> that's a great question, though. Oh man, what? Because I'm like, what a question to sort of go with. Anything. Yeah, because right, like that. I think it. W- I think it would have been a more fun movie of just the character of like the characters from Con Air too. But it's stolen. But it's like. Somehow this is a weird backdoor sequel. Yeah. 
And, and I don't know. I'm going with that. Like now in the memory of my, like I'm all right rewriting history. And when someone says, Oh, you see stolen. I'm like, Oh, you mean the Con Air sequel? Yes. <laughs> you know what? That's, I got to be honest, man, a weirdly convincing argument that would really turn me on this film. I think if it yeah. was a Con Air 2, I suppose because Con Air, maybe some more stakes have got to be up to, you've got to get into the air at some point. Um, but, 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 but it wouldn't, I don't, in this world, what I'm pitching, it's not a Con Air sequel. It's just the characters, meaning like it's like how a, uh, it's like how they made a sequel to that Big Lebowski. Like you know, there's the Jesus movie and the Big Lebowski. Like there's a. Oh, uh, so it's kind like, of like a same universe. Same universe. Right. It's, it's Cameron right, right. Poe's daughter gets kidnapped. But hey, maybe maybe there is a scene where like, you know, they're taking a helicopter or some low flying plane just to get kidnapped daughter to point A to point B. I don't know. I think it would have been a better movie even if we just slapped the characters in there. Let Kate, you know, maybe his hair's not as long, but you know, he's still an army ranger. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Casey's grown up. Uh, I don't want to divorce him from his wife. They seem pretty happy. Yeah, <laughs> as happy as I think. One of my <laughs> weirdly something I find weirdly funny about Connor is the the very very ending of it where. Um, obviously, to quickly summarize, Conair, you know, cons in the air, Conair, they've crashed into Las Vegas. Uh, obviously, John Malkovich has been taken out. And then the first time that Cameron Poe's daughter sees him is when he's walking from the smoldering wreckage through a destroyed Las Vegas covered in blood. That's the first time your daughter sees you. Yeah. Um, that might explain some of the therapy issues in this film. Yeah, you know? so it's there. It's there. Hey, there's the seeds are there. We, I can and he gives. Make oh, a go to, I was just going to say, can make point A go to point B. I think there's some there's some lines we can, some boxes we can take. I think you're absolutely right. You know, and even we still have the he still doesn't know how to give a gift. Yes, <laughs> the only thing I'll cut out is not if it's the Conair sequel. I won't have him go back to prison. Yeah, yeah. I think he could just cut the heist out, cut the prison out. Um, maybe you know. he's been working. You know, as a as a consultant with uh, with FBI agent Larton. Yeah, yeah, he's, you know, there's something he's putting his skills to use and again, yeah. to try and not go straight into the taking comparisons again. He has a set of skills and he can use them, right? Let's just put that out there. Um, but no, I think I think the pieces are there and then, like, God, that's Colk's turning now. That's some reinvigoration for this film. It's kind of like stolen, forgettable film that your dad's going to love. But if you imagine that you just forget this bit and this bit, that it's actually a sequel, um, a sort of semi-sequel in the same universe as Con Air, kind of is but isn't Con Air 2, but don't worry about all the details there, um, then I think we've got the set pieces um, sure. for some for some movie magic to happen. Hey, I know... I know Hollywood. They're listening. We're available. You, we will write. We'll write your. Uh, me and Daryl <laughs> will write. We'll write the next script. We got it. Don't worry about it. Just give us a couple million dollars. It's all we need, and we make this thing happen. <laughs> but when they inevitably ask us, "Where is the millions that we gave you?" We'll just be like, "Wink, wink. We burnt it. Wink, wink." <laughs> yeah, it's burnt. I don't know what you're talking. About. Also, another thing with this ending, you just brought bringing it back to. Is when um, you know the, the the FBI guys are like, if he throws it in the water, I we can't arrest him. We're watching him hold the actual gold. We think it is. 
But if he throws in the water, which we're recording his audio, no, uh, no harm, no foul. Like, what? <laughs> Again, I, I don't know the way I think law works in America. I think every state has kind of its own deal. There's a lot of stuff that's yeah, probably the same. But I seem for possession, though. Like, he still has it, and you have the audio that confirms that he has it, and he knows he has it. Oh, yeah, that that same thing is, I think that's just universally law, right? Like, like as long, like, that's you, like, any of us, if I go to London or we're here, if I go to a store and plan to steal a notebook, but I decide, let me put it, go back, back to it and put it back in, they could still arrest me for stealing the notebook in the first place. (laughs) Yeah, this is, well, this is exactly the thing, because it's like, and I'm just reaching for maybe the first, let's say like you have a bag of weed or something, whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It could, could be any substance, whatever. It doesn't have to be weed. Um, but I've got two agents who, you know, you've got a visual on me. You've seen it in my hand. You know I've got it. You know that I know I have it. You've got all the evidence that says that I have had possession of this. But if I then just throw it into a bayou, they're like, okay, well, we, now we can't touch him. He doesn't have it. I still possessed that thing that you've been looking for at some point. I was still in possession of it. Um, now, obviously, the whole intent thing, that's something to be proven at a later date, but there's a, still a case for possession of uh, of a narcotic yeah, or whatever you want to call it. But It's so silly. Um, I think at the end of this day, that that's what this movie is. It's silly. It's, it's not thought through. <laughs> Yeah. Because, like I said, I, I do think that ending scene, as bad as this movie is, it's like a cute moment. I get what they were trying to do. They're trying to wrap everyone together, give everyone essentially the happy ending. Yeah, the line still doesn't make sense if I could finally rest now. Sure, you arrested him in the beginning of the movie. I don't get it. But that's what this movie is. It's it's And it's not like so bad it's good stupid. It's just stupid. Yeah. Yeah. I hundred percent agree. It's it's as we've been saying. This is a start of a, a tricky trajectory for Cage when he's not completely, but he's you can tell he's starting to phone a few things in. Um, it's lazier than it needs to be. Everything is far too convenient. There's too much exposition. The score just just doesn't work. Um, and it's it, it's a, it's a such it's a forgettable film. It really it's, is. It's there's a reason this went you know pretty much straight to DVD, and and did and did so poorly. Yeah, yeah. that's that's kind of it with it. it you know, they're, they're, there's like three movies or let's say two I would recommend that just to watch this. Oh, like don't watch this, watch that. And it's you know watch watch Taken. Taken is a good movie. The first Taken is a good movie. I mean, I haven't seen it in a while, but it's it's a it does its job. Its reason was a hit. Yeah. And then this is very, speaking of straight to DVD, but this movie's a lot more fun. Watch like something like Escape Plan with uh, Schwarzenegger and Stallone. Like, sure. you know, very similar, like over the top, like action vibes, because like watch that instead. If you want a, a heist movie, kind of, it, it, it's better. Um, you know, I, I guess we're wrapping things up soon on this, but I, I was thinking of like, when I watch something like this, uh, I do look for like, is this so good it's bad where we could put it in and like you, me, or whatever, we have a couple beers and play maybe a drinking game or something to this movie and really have fun as a group. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, it would be really like really hard to come up with like five rules of like, you know, take a drink every time 
the phone rings, right? That's a boring rule, but this movie's only giving me boring rules. Yeah, you, you've got to stretch to find some good rules. Yeah. Like, uh, anytime Cajun necessarily attacks a cop. Yeah, that's a good um, one. <laughs> um, anytime we reference uh, the the gimpy leg, the, the 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 amputee leg, right? Yeah, like, I think with Vince, anytime he just tries to be the Joker. Yeah, it's it's because um, usually our staple one for the cage, and I'll give this to your viewers: is if you're doing a drinking game with any cage movie, there's always an unwritten written rule of any cage freak out. It's automatically embedded in any of them. Of course, um, of course. So, but that's what I was looking for in this movie. I'm like, because we do that. You don't even do cage and beers that frequently anymore, as I was talking earlier. But like me and my group of friends and my wife and. We get together a lot on Saturdays, especially when we were like very locked down yeah. and like watch movies like this where we're like, ha ha, you know, blah, blah, blah. Let's have another drink. This one, it's, it's going right in the trash. It's not, a, <laughs> you know, it's not, a, it's not getting pushed. It's not getting referenced um, in that regard. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it's a great point. It's a forgettable film. I think ultimately, if you want to watch a better Nick Cage, Simon West film in which in which an ex con um, fights to get back to his daughter. Watch Conair. <laughs> <Yes, laughs> watch. I think watch Conair. Watch Conair. Watch Conair twice, three times in a row. It's, it'd be better than your hour and a half. Yeah, we spend with these characters. Um, yeah, dude. That I, I think you summed it up for me. I don't. I give it a very, 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 very low rental. If you need like. If you're looking for a thriller that you need background noise, that's about where this stands. Do you need to take a nap? Stolen's your move, dude. Yeah, again, I completely agreed. It's a total background noise film. You can dip in every 10, 20, 30 minutes if you want, and you still haven't missed anything. Um, <laughs> but just for fuck's sake, watch Connor. Watch Connor. <laughs> Watch Connor. Um, I th- I, you know, and I think that, that really sort of succinctly starts to wrap things up. You know, as we bring this episode to an end, um, see, Joe Chindang, I want to thank you so much again for taking the time to talk about Stolen with me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, for the listeners, uh, where can we find you on the interwebs, on the socials? Sure, um, yeah. Tell us all about it. This has been a really, thank you once again. It was so much fun. Um, I love talking cage and just movies in general. So even the worst of the worst, I uh, I love it. Um, you could find me at uh, on Twitter, uh, Chandango1, uh, usually tweeting about movies, uh, sometimes being a jerk, uh, or also about the Mets. That's about roughly it. Uh, but you could find our podcast, uh, me and four, uh, three of my other buddies, uh, host a movie podcast called Flower State of Film, uh, where we kind of do this: we pick topics and talk about said topics, and then discuss a movie that we're reviewing at the end of the episode. We have a lot of fun, and then I have a new podcast out called Flower State of Fear, which is my own podcast where I'm actually going to have guests on, and we're just going to discuss horror films. And uh, I hope you uh, it has not released yet, but it will be soon. Hope you guys check it out. Uh, I'm really looking forward to getting that one out there. And- Amazing. Um, let's say obviously all your links are going to be in the descriptions down below. Uh, so please go, please go check out and support Joe. Um, any friend of Cage is a friend of mine on the journey <laughs> to true Cage Nirvana. Um, but this wraps up this episode. Um, stolen. The memory should just stay stolen. I think. Um, <laughs> just again, watch, watch Con Air for fuck's sake. Watch Con Air. Watch Con Air. 
Um, but that wraps up this episode. Uh, we will see you in the next one. Thank you for listening, if you have been. And until then, keep on. Keep on caging. That's all you have to do. Take care. Bye-bye.